This is entitled, The Corona Overreaction Has Been the Meanest Prank Ever, and it's from Mark Oshinsky's Substack. It was originally published April 26th, 2022, and I left a link for you to click through if you like it. The Yoho Introduction Oshinsky's clever post below is addressed to people with limited knowledge. Those of us who have studied the situation know that the pandemic is purposeful genocide and that the lies are neither pranks nor mistakes. This essay describes today's health science ruination, but the lies are not limited to the coronavirus in healthcare. The quote hard sciences have been destroyed as well. Here is an article about this entitled Scientific Publishing is a Scam Fed by the Government, and I left the link. This mirrors the British Medical Journal editorial last year, time to assume healthcare research is fraudulent until proven otherwise. The pandemic itself is, quote, the big lie, an expression coined by Adolf Hitler in Mein Kampf to describe his propaganda. This is the use of a lie so monstrous that no one would believe that someone, quote, could have the impudence to distort the truth so infamously. The Nazis used this technique to justify the Holocaust, blaming the Jews for every German problem. My purpose here is to, number one, teach readers why they must now be suspicious of all sources. Number two, to help them realize that these evils are not new. They've been seen and successfully dealt with before through history. George Orwell's novel, 1984, written over 70 years ago, described today's situation accurately. Quote, the party seeks power entirely for its own sake. We are not interested in the good of others. We are interested solely in power, pure power. We are different from the oligarchies of the past in that we know what we are doing. The German Nazis and the Russian communists came very close to us in their methods, but they never had the courage to recognize their own motives. They pretended, perhaps they even believed, that they had seized power unwillingly and for a limited time, and that just around the corner there lay a paradise where human beings would be free and equal. We are not like that. We know that no one ever seizes power with the intention of relinquishing it. If you don't think it's that bad, you have missed the memo. Start out slow by reading the following. And this is the actual article. The Corona overreaction has been the meanest prank ever. I like clever pranks. I've had some pulled on me and had to take my hat off to the perpetrators. And I played some on other people. All were intended in good fun. I would never intentionally injure someone or mock them, and no prankster has hurt or mocked me. Nor would I give someone bad news and later tell them it was a lie. Life is hard enough without inducing undue alarm. But after the past two years, you would know that. At least three times I've convinced people they've won some prize or award when they haven't. I figure that the prank target got to feel like they won, and that having that feeling was probably nearly as good as the actual experience of winning would have been. Feel free to disagree with me, you wouldn't be the first. Once, the deception was unintentional. Without providing excessive detail, I had a college friend, Annie, who told me that she was trying to win some award that she admitted was kind of silly. We joked about and both denigrated the award throughout the week before the decision date. When she learned that she hadn't won, Annie told me with apparent equanimity that losing didn't bother her. As a way of making light of the award's unimportance, I decided to write a handwritten note 
saying that, quote, due to computer error, Anne had been mistakenly informed that she had not won and that she really had won. This was well before computers were a part of daily life. Computers could not possibly have been used in the award evaluation process then. The note also contained several, what I thought were obvious, private jokes indicating that the note wasn't serious and that only I could have written it. I was also friendly with Annie's roommate, Adria. When I told Adria about the note's content, Adria laughed. I slipped the note under Annie and Adria's door later that day. A few hours after I passed the note, Adria found me in the dorm study room and ashamedly told me that Annie had seen and believed the note was going to the, and was going to the awarding organization's building to claim her award. Adria told me I had to talk with Annie immediately or Annie would go to campus and be humiliated. I thought Adria was pulling my leg that my prank had engendered a reciprocal prank stacked on a prank in which I would have to nervously apologize to Annie and then she and Adria would laugh at me. Ha, good one. You go, girls. But Adria seemed serious. I gave her two chances to admit she was joshing me. Each time she swore that she wasn't. I thought that either Adria was a good actress or, increasingly likely, that I had created a thorny situation. Uh oh. At that moment, Annie abruptly entered the study room, smiling from ear to ear and proudly announced, Mark, I won! Like Adria, Annie also seemed serious. They were either really good actresses or I was in trouble. I was stunned for a few seconds. Then I said, Annie, I have to tell you something. I wrote that note. I thought you would know it was from me. She quickly laughed off my comment. No, I replied. I really wrote it. I thought that, still skeptical, she said, no, you didn't. What did it say? I began, quote, due to computer error. Annie turned, burst into tears, and ran out of the room. If this was still acting, it was excellent. While Annie didn't win the underlying school award, she would have deserved an Oscar. But I could not but conclude she was serious. I felt very bad about what I had done. News of the prank spread faster through our dorm than any virus. Reaction was mixed. A few people, all women, asked me how I could be so mean. But the, but the majority, mostly men, thought it was very funny, especially the, quote, computer error part. Men are more used to pranks. They came to my room and laughed uproariously. I was embarrassed. I apologized to Annie. She forgave me eventually, sort of, I think. This experience reminded me that if you want to believe something, you'll overlook some very obvious evidence that what you want to believe is not true. For 25 months, I've wondered how people believe so strongly that SARS-CoV-2 presented a universal lethal threat and that lockdowns, masks, tests, and vaccines would save us. Regarding the extent of the ostensible crisis, why didn't people ask themselves in March 2020, aren't all viruses to some extent, quote, novel? Doesn't that Chinese guy on TV lying in the street, scissoring his legs like a robot seem fake? Aren't the people said to be dying from the virus almost exclusively old, sick, or overweight? Don't many thousands of old, sick, and or obese Americans die every day? Who are these bureaucrats, Fauci and Burks, and what had they done to deserve such diffidence? How many hospitals are really being overrun? If hospitals are being overrun, why do the staff in my high COVID area say the hospitals are quieter than usual, and why are governments financially bailing out quiet hospitals? 
How can you trust official death tolls when federal legislation has incentivized hospitals and families to categorize deaths as having been caused by COVID? Why, given that viruses pass through the population every year with the most lethal virus of all time, arrive during an election year? Won't locking people down and closing schools cause extreme lasting harm to hundreds of millions of people? And as the weeks passed, why isn't anyone I know sick? And how many people that you know of under 80 and not very sick or obese have died from COVID-19? The begrudging answer I heard from others was always the same as mine, zero. Regarding the lockdowns and social distancing, they should have also asked, when in human history have healthy people ever been quarantined? Can the world be made microbe free? Don't our immune systems quell infections? How does it make sense to close small businesses while leaving with large ones open? Does it really help to walk in one direction in supermarket aisles? Why ban interstate travel when states' infection rates were nearly equal? Why do the most lockdown, masked up states have the highest COVID death rates? Why can you stand in very long Walmart lines but not in election day lines? Do photos, photos of celebrities and politicians on vacations or maskless at gatherings during this time of ostensible crisis make you wonder how insincere they are about the importance of staying home and masking? Among an ever-growing series of arbitrary rules, how does it make sense to return to restaurants, theaters, and stadiums at 25% rather than 50, 75%, or 100% of capacity? Why are most American public schools closed for over a year when very few kids were becoming infected and next to zero kids were dying from the virus while European public schools and many American private schools had been fully open since September 2020 without measurable harm? Why aren't death tolls spiking after BLM street protests, the Sturgis motorcycle rally, Trump rallies, or college football games as, quote, experts predicted? Why is the two-week lockdown to, quote, flatten the curve dragging on for many months after the curve had flattened? Regarding masks, they should have queried, aren't masks plainly leaky? leaky? If masks block viruses, why do mask wearers care if others don't wear them? Why, when dining out, must you wear a mask while reading a menu when you can remove it for a half an hour long meal? Two masks? Seriously? Plexiglass barriers? Seriously? Regarding testing, a reasonable person might have wondered, if people were sick, wouldn't they know it? Didn't Fauci previously say that asymptomatic people don't spread respiratory viruses? Weren't the 40-cycle PCR tests almost completely unreliable, delivering 70 to 90% false positives? With the time lags between testing and results, how would testing allow asymptomatic people to timely know that they should stay home? How well does test and trace work for respiratory viruses, the transmission of which is quite different from the transmission of sexually transmitted diseases? Who got the multi-billion dollar contracts for the plainly ineffective testing crusade? And later, regarding the, quote, vaccines, people should have asked, why is it necessary to, quote, vaccinate everyone against a disease that only threatened a small identifiable slice of the population? How could researchers develop in six months a messenger RNA vax for a respiratory virus when they had previously tried and failed to do so for decades? 
98% effective? Effective in what way and for how long? How could the shots be deemed safe and effective when there has been no time to study long-term safety or effectiveness? Why are governments giving away free donuts, beer, lottery tickets, and even $100 gift cards or holding college scholarships and sweepstakes to coax people to jab? Why are many vaxxed young people sustaining cardiovascular injury and many other people dying mysteriously? Why doesn't it matter to the government which brand of vax you get as long as you submit to a shot, i.e., are all the shots really of equal quality? Why, if you vaxxed, do you still have to wear a mask? And why, if you wore a mask, do you still have to get the vax? Why are so many vaxxed celebrities and vaxxed people we know getting infected? How could, as many asserted, the unvaxxed be infecting the vaxxed? Why did Pfizer try to seal the vax trials data for 75 years? Why should you believe a president and vice president who told you during the campaign that they wouldn't take, quote, the Trump vax when they later hectored you into taking it? Why would you believe a president who told you he wouldn't mandate the vax, but later doing so, and in the most plainly unconstitutional manner? Why are hundreds of thousands of migrants allowed to enter the United States without being injected? Why is a large segment of the medical community choosing not to be injected? What have Biden, Fauci, or Walensky said since January 2020 that has demonstrated any special useful knowledge about the coronavirus and how to react to it in an effective, socially constructive manner? And haven't they often changed their mind? Why do governments still hype and mandate vaxes when these shots have clearly failed to stop either infection or spread as Biden, Fauci, and MSNBC and others promised? Instead of endlessly hyping the shots, why have the government and media suppressed information regarding various preventive and therapeutic measures that were used against other viruses? Might the shots cause the virus to evolve as antibiotics have done to bacteria? Might the shots damage injectees' immune systems? What happened to, quote, two shots or one Johnson & Johnson shot and you're done, unquote? Unfortunately, most people didn't ask any questions. After decades of widely expressed cynicism regarding government and media, why did Americans do a 180-degree turn during corona mania and consider governments a source of truth and wisdom and trusted paragons of competence? Did they forget that the media sensationalized the stories to build an audience? The turnabout was astounding. Anyone who thought that the situation, even a little, would have seen in March 2020 that the intervention simply didn't add up. In the ensuing months, as the intervention serially intensified and failed, the government and media nevertheless told you to do more of each one. Most people zealously complied. It's felt like a two-year-long episode of punked. One can easily imagine CDC officials and politicians saying behind closed doors, quote, if they believe that, then how about this? Laugh out loud. Until recently, I was still in touch with some friends from my upper echelon university. Notably, some who laughed the hardest about my anti-award prank nevertheless bought the corona overreaction hook, line, and sinker. Those from the biggest name colleges were among the corona wrongest of all. This, quote, elite cohort has led the societal race to the bottom from day one. 
At least Annie's naivete was understandable. The desire for affirmation can blind people to plainly visible facts. Why did the coronavirus maniacs want so strongly to believe the sky was falling when it clearly wasn't? Because they consume too much TV, NPR, and New York Times, WAPO, and they're politically tribalistic, they're baseline fearful, they lack a scientific framework and critical thinking skills, and they're highly susceptible to peer pressure. Further, the scamdemic imbued many with a purpose in their otherwise purpose-deficient lives. They love the drama. During coronamania, the lockdowners, maskers, testers, vaxxers told themselves they were saving the world. They disregarded that their COVID compliance puts ten, put tens of millions out of work, stole youth from the young, and sharply increased overdose and alcohol-related deaths and mental illness, as well as impoverishing inflation at home and hunger abroad. This and much more harm is irreparable. The last 25 months of governmental and media overreaction have been very weird and very dark. The deeply dishonest have pulled the biggest, meanest, most Machiavellian prank ever on the very many gullible. Except that this prank was not in good fun, and the perpetrators are not apologizing for all the destruction they've caused. Terrorists never do.